0: Welcome back to the Deeper Dive podcast produced locally in the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. here at Sacred Heart Roman Catholic Church in La Plata, Maryland. My name is Bill Winnell, as always, joined by Monsignor Charles Pope. Good morning, Monsignor. Good morning. Father Larry Swank. Good morning, Father. Hey, good morning, everybody. Today we'll continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and today we'll talk about anger, and I'll read from St. Matthew's Gospel, um, beginning with verse 21. Chapter 5, sorry, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to your ancestors, You shall not kill, and whoever kills will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, Whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Rakah, will be answerable to the Sanhedrin. And whoever says you fool will be liable for fiery Gehenna. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there recall that your brother has anything against you, leave your gift there at the altar. Go first and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Settle with your opponent quickly while on the way to court with him. Otherwise, your opponent will hand you over to the judge, and the judge will hand you over to the guard, and you will be thrown in the prison. Amen, I say to you, you will not be released until you have paid the last penny. Father.
1: All right, so we enter into the sixth antithesis of the uh, Sermon on the Mount, which Monsignor explained that a little bit last, last uh, week, and uh, you'll notice, in, in essence, in some ways that the uh, Sermon on the Mount kind of covers uh, some, if not most, of the seven deadly sins. And today it really deals with the deadly uh, sin of anger and our Lord's sort of antidote to it um, uh, and how he's raised the bar, so to speak, but also trying to give us a new perspective of where we can be with his grace when it comes to anger. So, um, you know, I guess, I guess we'll start off with just, we have to define this word anger, Monsignor. And then I think it would be good to kind of look at this word that's somewhat not easily translatable, Raka, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what does that mean? And why is that a big deal? And, um, what is our Lord trying to do here? So I, I'll i kind of start off and then hand it back to you. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Monsignor Pope, I, I think this word that are, there's two words, I believe in Greek for anger. Now there might be more, but from my understanding, there's orgathosai, and there's Thumos and Thumos of anger. And then the other orgathosai is more this ongoing um, sort of like uh Ember, you know, a mm-hmm. little bit of uh, a burning that's going on inside of you, and you keep feeding it and blowing on it, and it just gets hotter mm-hmm. and hotter and hotter. It's a sort of a resentment. Um, and I believe that our Lord uses that <laughs> second word, Orga the sigh, which yeah. is resentment, uh, yeah. which leads to so maybe shed some light on why you think he used that word and why that's more deadly than an outburst of anger.
2: Yeah, I'm just using more than the first person here, or Gizo. Huh? And it it implies, um, I mean, I, I just flipped open a Greek dictionary here. So, uh, and it, this will help us to sort of understand, like you say, there's that passionate rage that when something startles us or, you know, that's it, it, in the moment, that's that's different. Uh, that's a different word. But this one, or Gizo, it, it means obviously to be angry, but it expressed a kind of a fixed anger, if that makes sense, a settled. A settled opposition, according to the Greek dictionary here, um, to show a settled opposition. Um, and um it's um it's it's a sinful anger that focuses on punishing the offender rather than on the moral content of the offender. So or on the the one who has a given offense. So anyway, the, the point is that you know this is wrathful anger, this is punishing, this is vengeful, this is the kind of anger that. Is um, I will never forget. I will seek revenge. I hope you burn in hell. You know that kind of these sorts of uh, uh, settled opposition. It's not just that passing anger or irritation that happens in the moment.
1: You know, I think that's a good distinction, Father. Right. And uh, so, um, what's this? What's the deal with the word rakah?
2: Mm. Well, in a way, it's an it's uh, it's not translatable in that. It, it, let me let me put it this way. I think um, it's not translated because uh, it, it's it's it was, it's a word that, that's um, well, it's it, it's it's like the equivalent modern equivalent we have of the N word. It's, it's a word that everybody knows what it means, but it's so offensive as it should never be used. Mm. Um, it has a long history. It basically indicates uh, a dehumanizing kind of anger toward uh, the other person um it's a, you know and jesus uses it as an example of the kind of anger he's defend uh, he's um, saying we can't have um so for i'm just you know going to once again um um flip open the uh you know the the dictionary here um and um you know, but as I say, uh, you know, rachah, again, is not translated. But let me just see what if, if the apparently related to the Aramaic term, meaning, you know, empty, empty headed. <laughs> you know. Uh, This term expressed contempt for a, for a person re- regarding them as stupid without sense, as a numbskull. But I think it goes further. It's dehumanizing. It basically you're just, an, you're just a total idiot. Okay. So it's a very dehumanizing, uh, and, a, a kind of, and again, remember Orgizo refers to a settled opposition. This isn't just, you're so angry in the moment you say stupid things, you regret. This is anger that's settled. It's deep. This is the kind of stuff that does lead to deep racial hatreds and, um, uh, and not just for individuals, but whole classes of people. So Raka, you know, is this, um, uh, this expression of total contempt for, for another human being or another a group of human beings. And it leads to things which um, you can see how it can lead to murderous thoughts or wishes that the other individual or party were dead or didn't exist. And uh, so this is um, that, that kind of anger. Now, why is it, why is it this important? Because the Lord is saying, you've heard that it said you should not kill. I say to you, whoever grows angry, with a, a brother um, is, you know was already offended and what i mean by anger and he gives these two examples raqa or fool uh, so he's illustrating that there's a particular kind of anger he's speaking about here and that is orgizo there is a justified anger that we all have when we see and experience injustice, you know, and uh, we ought to have a settled opposition to injustice. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, this anger is directed negatively against other human beings for no good reason. It is it. And that's how, that's why the Lord's examples here are important because, you know, you know, as you know, Father, uh, Jesus showed a lot of anger in the new Testament. And, um, this not just when he cleansed the temple, you know this uh, sort of re uh, reworked Jesus that a lot of people have in mind today, who
1: just went around saying pleasantries all the time because that's what it means to be
2: like Jesus. Uh, is not the Jesus of Scripture. He expressed a lot of indignation toward evil and towards, you know, just kind of this sluggishness and this lack of urgency among people, uh, and 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 likewise against uh, you know the religious leaders of his day who were so. Uh, you know, so obtuse. So anyway, enough said. But raha yeah, it's a untranslatable word. It's it's the it's it's a word like the N word that should never be said to another human being
1: mm-hmm. because gotcha. of the history, yeah. yeah it's still like, what's the vision our Lord has? You know, sometimes we probably heard heard from people. You know, when we have conversations, we're trying to help them, and a lot of a lot of people's issues today, as all of us at times is. Dealing with um, this emotion of anger, and in itself, it is an emotion. It's it's sometimes uh, inordinate, and that's our problem. Is it? It mm-hmm. goes beyond where it should be. It's unreasonable, and people will say things like, "Well, you know, Father, I I've, I've forgiven this person, but I just don't really want to be in the same room with them, um, or I, I'd rather live three states away." But I, I have forgiven them. Is that is that the image where our Lord is, has for anger? I mean, is it, let's put it this way. All right. So with kind of stepping back a little, but I think God's asking us to go deeper, but let's say for instance, you've been seriously hurt by someone. Mm -hmm. Does that mean, what does that look like where we know we've actually forgiven the person? It doesn't mean we have no boundaries or is it more like, it's sort of a, I mean, you know, it's in a sense, in our heart, we want what's just what's best for the person. Uh, does that make sense? Like, wh- what is that, what does it look like to actually forgive your brother from the heart? Yeah.
2: Well, okay, so let's let's look at it negatively first. I mean, you, we all know that to forgive somebody doesn't mean we can always live in peace with them. Um So for example, I think that one of the scriptures says, insofar as is possible, uh, live in peace with everyone. <laughs> but that it's, it's not always true that the other person is willing to live in peace with you, or their lives are so messed up with addictions, or i don't know gambling or whatever it is you know that you you know to 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 try to just say let's pretend this problem doesn't exist will be utterly destructive both to you and to that person it's not a healthy relationship we'll put it that way in a kind of a psycho psychological way so that we have a um it's, it's not always possible even advisable to try to live, uh, in, in peace with everybody. Uh, sometimes we just have to keep our distance. All right. So that's a disclaimer that's looking at to forgive or to, um, not have anger or to love one's brother or sister doesn't mean it's easier, possible, even wise or reasonable for me to live, try to live in peace with everyone. Now, the problem is more on their side at, at some point, you know, there's nothing they're going to do to change that. Okay. But again, what, what to forgive from the heart means that we, that the Lord is offering us an experience that this kind of stuff can no longer obsess us and drag us into anger. And just even moments when that person isn't anywhere near us, you know, that we're thinking about them and seething inside and remembering all the hurts and the things. And the Lord wants to set us free from that. He says, look, give this to me. I, if they die unrepentant, they're going to answer to me. Now give it to me. I will, I will, they won't speak to me about what they've done. Or not done, they will speak to me. about I, I promise you. Now, give it to me. Now, I'll just tell you an example in my own life. You know, some years ago, I would say twenty years ago now. Um, <clears throat> the uh, I was I was struggling with uh, some real serious anger with certain family members who had really harmed me at a certain point, and um, I remember uh, I started. I was going through at the time spiritual direction and and, and, and uh, psychotherapy and all. And it was really deemed that forgiveness was going to be an important thing, you know, for me to experience. And at some point I started saying, OK, so I started actively going to, uh, you know, to working on this, uh, working on it through the, my anger about this. And likewise, also to just asking God for that gift of forgiveness. And I remember one day I just woke up and I realized I wasn't I wasn't angry anymore. It had just kind of gone away, and I couldn't say exactly when. But I said, you know, it's been a long time since that. I used to think about that thing every day, and now I hardly ever think of it. And when I do, I'm I'm at peace, and it's it just doesn't it doesn't wound me any longer. So you see what I'm saying? That forgiveness and loving our enemy is really a gift of God. It, it's something that we can say, "I'm willing, Lord. I'll cooperate. I'll, I'll if I need to do some certain spiritual exercises and work through." My anger—I'll do, all, but Lord, I do really need this gift to just kind of let go and uh, not be carrying on these bowling balls of anger and resentment and all those bad memories. And and uh, and the Lord gave it to me, and I, I realized it was Him because I I sort of became aware of it, and it's never returned. I've always had a certain sympathy and understanding for my family members who, you know, and uh, you know that they were struggling too. And anyway, so all that's just a way of saying that remember, the Sermon on the Mount, we got to keep reminding ourselves of this, is not saying that that you better do these things or else, Um, but rather to receive as a gift from God, the gift to not hate or have this vengeful, hateful, racha kind of anger toward any other human being. It's a gift he wants to give us. He's not saying, don't you dare go there. He's saying, look, doesn't that harm you even more than it hurts them? to be all obsessed about some other human being and whether they, why do they still exist? Why do they exist at all? Yeah, why don't you let go of that? Give it to me. And you'll have so much more energy in your, your life will be so much more pleasant. If you can just let me work this work in you and give you this gift to a forgive and to be love, love your brother and love your sister from your heart.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and then the other harsh word in this gospel, I mean, when I say harsh, I mean, it is harsh. Uh, it's hard, shall we say, is when he talks about um, you know, you will uh he talks about gehenna.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, talks about, I mean, gehenna is a biblical word for hell. And if you if you get to the point where you uh hate your brother or wish harm upon them, mm-hmm. then, you know, you could go to hell for it. And um that's a hard people will say, well I, I didn't do anything. I just wanted to do something. And uh I mean, but I guess the catechism is quite clear, um, and this could be a little bit of a discussion, is uh, what is hatred? And hatred is the extreme form of anger where we really want the person to die. Uh, we want them, may, maybe, I mean, they've got really bad. We'd want them to go to hell for what they did, or, you know, we just kind of hope they walked in front of a bus and, uh, you know, get a yeah. taken. Um, and the church says, if, if there's, if you're consciously desire, will that thought and desire it, even though you didn't do it, and you didn't drive over the person, our Lord says, you wanted them dead. You've already killed your brother in your heart. Yeah. <laughs> say a word about that. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of people say, well, I haven't killed anybody. Well, <laughs> say, well did you want to? Well, that's another story. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I think, how could heaven be heaven if someone you utterly hated was in there? Mm-hmm. So the, and so you have to, on your side, abandon this idea. So I'll go back to the prodigal son story. Most people look at the first son. But the focus of the story really is the second son, isn't it? You know, it's about Jesus told this parable to the scribes and the Pharisees who were convinced of their own righteousness while despising everyone else. And there was a man who had two sons, and he goes on and tells this parable. Now, with that with that in mind, so what we want to say is, um, look at this: how the, the, the second son reacts when his brother comes back. He's repentant, and the father is excited and joyful. And this second son is angry He's, you know, all get out. And um I, 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 and his father at some point comes out and begs him to come into the party. And basically he says, no, no way, old man, I ain't going in there as long as that son of yours, no brother of mine is in there and I get I, I won't go in, I won't go in. I, how can I celebrate? You never even gave me a kid goat to celebrate with my with my friends and you know, you kill the fatted calf and took this guy And So again, so many things are just desperately wrong in the heart of the second son. He's com- externally compliant but his heart is far away from his father. And he says, I won't go into your party because it won't be a party for me. I'll be angry and seething inside. I'm not going in there, old man. And the story ends with the father pleading and the son saying, no, no, no. And the question is, why does it end? Does he change his mind? Uh, No, we don't know because it's you and me who will have to decide. So if I were to still entertain severe hatred for someone, And find out that they were in heaven. How could heaven be heaven for me? You see? Mm -hmm. So there's something that has to happen to me, something the Lord has to do. I'll tell you a little story. It goes something like this. It was uh, one of my first parishes. There was a woman who used to come out and fret after daily mass. Oh, Father, the neighborhood is changing. You know, that was basically code language in those days for the fact that it was going from white to black. And... um, what are we going to do about it, Father? What are we going to do? And I said, Well, why don't we go meet our new neighbors and invite them to come to church? <laughs> oh no, Father! I don't. I'm scared. And she finally said, Look, Father, I don't like black people. Um, I, I, uh, I, I just I'm afraid of them and I don't like them. And and I said, Well, you're gonna you're not going to be happy in heaven. <laughs> said, oh, Father, I will be happy in heaven because Jesus and Mary are there. And you know, she prayed the rosary every day. She was very devout. <laughs> she had this wound in her heart, you know, and and it's, you know, it's understood Like, oh,
0: oh
1: hey, here, here,
2: here's a little insight. There's going to be a lot of black people in heaven. That's, you that's it, you know. And she, so I finally got her. To, she didn't know what I was getting at, and I finally said, "There are black people in heaven," you know. <laughs> so somehow you got to let the Lord free you of this, <clears throat> so that heaven will be open for you. Otherwise, you won't even want to go there. Right. You hear them singing a gospel song in there and being loud. Or something like that, you know. Anyway, my only point is that, that. Um, so again, this is this is clearly why these things, you know, have to be taken care of for us. Now, this is, again, remember, the, the Sermon of the Mount is painting a picture of the transformed human person who does not have this kind of hatred for other people. Not just because they're better than you or me, but because the Lord has worked a work in them and taking this away, and they're more understanding. They they may not be able to live in peace with everybody. They may need to keep their distance, but they're not hateful of them, and they don't want to see them destroyed. And so this is a, you know, it's a great, beautiful gift and a great freeing thing um, that uh, we can, you know, we can do. So we have to, otherwise, that's why we risk the fires of hell if we don't let the Lord work this work, because frankly, we won't even want to go to the real heaven. Like that second son standing outside saying, I don't want to go to that party, old man. Not under those conditions. No party for me. Well, we got to learn how to accept heaven on God's terms. And God says, love your enemy. And God, some of your enemies might be up here in heaven one day. And if you hate
1: them, ooh, you sort of sealed yourself off from heaven. Right, right. You know, it's it's interesting, too. I mean, kind of tying in with this last line of the scripture, you know, it says, you will not be released until you paid the last penny. Um, I think sometimes we just, you know, we we always, all right, you don't be angry and all this, but but I think our Lord implicitly, this is this can be, and some of the church fathers make the point that this is a, a reference to purgatory. And you mm-hmm. wonder mm-hmm. how much of purgatory has to deal with unresolved resentment and anger that needs to just kind of be healed. Uh, we don't heal on earth. And um I guess my first question for, for you, Monsignor, and also for the listeners is, is do you think this is a, a good biblical reference for purgatory? Some people debate it. I believe it is. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be your argument for that? And mm-hmm. then we can kind of segue into, um, you know, how do we purify from our anger? If we're going to spend some time in purgatory rather than not do it now, you know, how do we purify from uh from you know, sinful anger, not righteous anger, which is another podcast in itself. What is the difference between sinful and righteous anger? But let's start with that first yeah. Is this a good Scripture uh, quote about the existence of purgatory? Yeah, why don't we... Um...
2: Just remind uh, all of us, including the listeners of a, of the text itself, it starts at verse 23 of Matthew 5. It says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift and go first to be reconciled and then come offer your gift. Now, by the way, this some argue this is the source of the sign of peace at Mass, although it would seem that we would want to do it at the offertory no not right before Holy Communion, but that said, um, in fact, by by the way, the Anglican use does it at the offertory. Some of the Eastern rites have it earlier. So again, this is something that it would seem, but unfortunately in the Western rite, it goes back almost as far as the sixth century that the sign of peace was offered right before Holy Communion. So anyway, enough said.
1: Yeah. There was a a rumor
2: that Pope Benedict was going to move it back. Yeah, and he again said, now nah, something that goes back all the way to the 6th century, I, we have no business fiddling with that. And I think that's, a that's a, generally speaking, a very good attitude to have about the liturgy. And we fiddled with far too much, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> Getting back to this topic here. So he says, now this is where I think it's very interesting. He says, 25, he says, Recon- reconcile quickly with your adversary while you're still on your way to the court otherwise he may hand you over to the judge the judge may hand you over to the officer and then you'll be thrown in prison and you won't be released until you pay the last penny now in terms of the notion of purgatory there is this question i mean you know, wherever this jail is that you end up in and the, the reference the, the viewpoint here is the is the day of judgment you see um and um uh, so it says uh, basically um, after judgment there, there's a Permanent prison called hell, and then there's heaven. But this prison, whatever it is, indicates that you can get released from it after you, quote, pay the last penny. And that's why a lot of the church fathers and others see a reference here to purgatory that you can't have this anger in your heart when you die. And maybe it isn't a mortal sin because you really struggled with it, because you've been really hurt, but it's there. And you can't take that to heaven. It wouldn't be heaven. So it has to be removed until the very last penny of its influence this rage or this anger that's still in you uh you can't bring it to heaven so it has to be removed but try to reconcile then with your adversary where you're on the way to court now who's the adversary now in the context it would seem whoever this imaginary person that you have something against or they have something against you but I would argue another way to see it is that our adversaries frankly it's our own conscience. Some people say, oh, it's the devil, Father. I says, no, uh, it says in the book of Revelation, for our adversary, the devil has been cast out, um, who who day and night accused us before God. So he's been cast out. So this adversary could be the other person. But I I think really to understand, we have to say that it's our own conscience that we know that, you know, I got no business carrying this stuff around, right? At least I know that I want and should be free of it. And so reconcile while you're still on the way to court. In other words, let the Lord go to work in your life about this hurt or this anger, this rage, even this seething inside. Let Him go to work. Otherwise, he'll, uh, your your enemy, namely your own conscience, will tend turn you over to the judge. Now, when Jesus has to be our judge, he's not our savior, that's the moment of judgment. Uh, he has to say, "Well, this cannot stand. You know, you've got to have you got to let go of this. You can't bring it into heaven with you." It wouldn't be heaven, so I have to, so I'll have to hand you over to the officer, the angels, or whatever, so that you'll be thrown into prison, namely purgatory, and you will get out, but only until this is finished or done, until the last penny is paid. So again, these are, I think, some interesting things for us that we all know. A lot of times, we tend to focus on sexual temptations and things, but boy, anger is a is a really awful thing. And if we let it grow in us and we can do and say some of the most awful terrible things some of the worst crimes are committed inside the family you know I don't really necessarily recommend it but if you watch some of these crime shows like forensic files or whatever 80% of the cases are committed inside the family units where a husband or a wife are fighting and they end, one ends up dead so to speak and um, you know there's all kinds of these things and it's really you know wherever there's a will father there's a Relative, <laughs> oh, no. so that the inheritance things, and well, Mr. Smith, why did you take out a life insurance
1: policy on your wife six months before you she died? <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, here's another interesting possible uh, thing too. Is let's say, for instance, someone died, and you're still angry at them. Could we be? And this is a complete theological, you know. Uh, um, you know, just sort of... Uh,
2: speculative theology
1: alert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not... This isn't the church speaking, but, like, could you keep a person going from heaven by being resentful towards them and not, you know, because, in essence, purgatory is that every penny must be, you know, uh, they must be released. Like, you're keeping them from, from from going to heaven because of your your anger, and they, <laughs> they're not going to release until you let go of the anger. But I, I, I go back to this story, and you're probably you are probably familiar with this Monsignor because you, you deal with deliverance ministry and I can't remember who said it, but it was an exorcist where he went to a particular house and the woman, um, had, you know, basically she was, her husband had died and she had a very, uh, he, he broke up with, he committed adultery on her and she kicked him out of the house and basically told him to, um, you know, go to hell when he found his mm-hmm. bags and, uh, and, you know, things started, after he died, and she did not go to the funeral, things started moving around the house, like, in his, where his his little man cave, pictures started to, you know, move mm. around, and things started to fall in. Right, wow. And uh, so, the priest came, and he, like, started praying, and he realized that, you know, this, that he said, I, I just don't think this is a, a diabolical entity. He goes, tell me a little bit about your husband. And she got all, like, you know, uptight and angry and uh, i don't want to talk about him and then she kind of spilled her guts about the story and then she shared with him that right before he died he called the cost he called from the hospital asking to speak with her and that when he, he got when she got to the room he's about to die and he said look i've always regretted what i did i've made my peace with god i've confessed my sin I just before I die, I want to make my peace with you, and will you forgive me? And she looked at him and says, "I hope you burn in hell," and walked out of the room. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the priest yeah. was like, "Hey, why don't we? Why don't we say a prayer of of, of forgiveness, you mm-hmm. know? And maybe he'll he'll stop bothering you because he mm-hmm. maybe can't be released until he's paid the last penny." And, they just, and she she went through this prayer of forgiveness, and then everything stopped, you, you know? know. But i two yeah. on talks about maybe the possibility of the flip side also happening is we don't forgive. We're kind of, someone's held captive too. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just caught in this like <clears throat> because you right. won't let it go, you know? So anyway.
2: I think in, in the, uh, to answer your question, I think in the strict sense, we can't argue that God would require that our salvation or our springing from purgatory be comp- totally dependent on whether somebody on earth is willing to forgive us. However, God may in his providence see that this is fitting for the soul in purgatory uh, to have some focus on helping the other person forgive and let go. Um, That's why, you know, we do have some of these hauntings and things that we do hear about, like you were describing, you know, that there were some things that were reminding her, you know, I, I certainly know. I've I've worked with some people too who have uh, been deeply traumatized or hurt by family members, usually parents or step parents or whatever who died, and uh, that there was a certain sense that um, the person in purgatory was also waiting for this person to finally let go of the sorrow. And the anger. So we want to make a reserve that God would never God would never make utterly dependent someone's release from purgatory on the on the actions of another human being. But on the other hand, God sometimes permits that this be part of the healing of the mm-hmm. souls in purgatory. That seems like a reasonable position. And I've I've worked with a number of people in deliverance ministry where this was a breakthrough. For them, when they were finally able to let go, and then those who claim to know these things, certain seers said that they had, they had definite sense that the the person moved far, far up into purgatory, close to the gates of heaven, because of this action of forgiveness. So, yeah, we, I think, again, this is more speculative pastoral. It's in God's providence. It isn't necessarily um, an absolute requirement uh, in every case, but um yeah, right. I think it makes sense. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, Bill, you're kind of sitting there, you know, as a layperson. you want to chime in a little bit about anger and your experience with, um, you know, what you hear from the other side of the pew and, you know, what, what are some of the things, typical questions people ask?
0: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. For me, well, for me personally, I was thinking about this the other day because we just read, you know, we just did a, a daily reflection, <laughs> I think, on this gospel this week or maybe last week it came up in the daily readings and um i was i was contemplating at that point how much or how little i should say that you know i, I don't want to give the the what everyone does you know the i went to 12 years of catholic school and but, but and, you know I, I never heard a lot of preaching about anger and the you know the the damage that anger can do and the in in the you know growing not only growing up as a kid but even even as an adult when i reverted back to the church it's not something that um you know you you hear that much preached about and it's something that i have to be honest and i think i'm pretty much on firm ground in saying that the majority of us struggle with um whether, yeah. whether it's family or co you know my gosh co- coworkers um bosses people you know people in power lay people right now struggling in some cases with the hierarchy of the church um, right. with anger. So I think it's, it's one of the, it's one of the kind of common things I think that all of us can relate to, but, but we've, it seems like it's forgotten about everyone's all, you know, when you're, when you're going down the list from the very first time you go to confession as a kid, I don't remember anger being on that examination of conscience, at least, you know, that was seventies, but well, <laughs> you know, um, and, and like I said, um, for something that all of us struggle with, and in some cases, or deeply, as Monsignor pointed, out, deeply wounded with, um, <clears throat> uh, you know my my wife's a nurse and uh, she's not a mental health professional, but but in dealing with being a case manager for 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 many patients, um, it's an it's a, also a very common thing, um, because it's some of the, you know some of the questions like on an intake sheet has nothing to do with their condition, but it's it's an, it's some of the questions you know, uh, you know who do you live with who do you whatever and 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 that fosters people just bring this up. And it, like I said, it's, it's almost every person I think. Um uh, mm-hmm. and I, and mm-hmm. I know there's not too, I don't want to say that, but there's not too many, too many sins or, or struggles that, that everyone has in common. I think like anger mm-hmm. that, that doesn't yeah. get depressed probably that it deserves. So just, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah Depression
2: is no, anger turned inward.
1: Yeah. 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 There's a lot of, um, and, yeah, and, like and, once, and the
0: funny, again, per, personal story, you know, me being an only child, not, not designed that way, but, uh, it's the way it worked out. Um, you know, I don't, so I don't have the siblings. I watch my wife just in her, you know, her, her daily or weekly interactions with her own family, uh, siblings uh, as well. And, uh, yeah. Wow. That's all I'll say about that.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, because like Monsignor was saying, people can be just, and we can too, we can be straight up mean uh, oh, yeah. at things and say things that are so
0: hurtful and uh, even to people that we love. And um, When it's so difficult, it's, again, my opinion, it's very difficult to overcome in some cases, you know, because of that, it, it leaves a stain almost like like not too many other things.
2: And I will say for my own story that I mentioned earlier, I mean, it's still, even to this day, very freeing to be free of all that simmering and seething inside. Uh, boy, you know, it wears you out and it doesn't really go anywhere except south. And, um, you know, it's uh, generated by the fires of hell and it drives, them right, drives you right back to the fires of hell if you're not careful. And maybe also build, a, build on something you said that um, anger causes a lot a lot of hurt. Think about it for a minute. It's not just among individuals, but whole nations. Now, for better or worse, I would say most Americans are blessed with a poor memory. We don't remember anything more than two weeks ago. Um, We're just off to the next thing. But uh, in places like Europe and other places in the world, I mean, the, the memory of what one nation did to another or one tribe, you know, it is deep. And, for example, I remember being shocked when Yugoslavia fell apart. Uh, Tito was killed and it was all. Uh, so you went back to the Balkans, you know, um, um, Herzegovina, you know, uh, you know the Serbians, the Croats and so on. Uh, the venom with which they were killing each other. like, where did this come from? So it goes back almost a thousand years, Father. A thousand years? Really? Now, little Croat babies aren't born to hate Serbian babies. Somebody teaches that to them. You see, years ago, they did this to us, and so you have to hate them. And it leads to war and just horrible things, and how many hundreds of thousands of people were killed? Go back to Rwanda and, and uh, back in the uh, around, you know, 1995 uh, 90, or so, that horrible genocide that just went there. Just unbelievable. Well, what was that all about? You know, and that goes back hundreds of years, that conflict between the, the Hutus and the Tutsis. And oh my gosh, you know, a million people died within six months in that war. That's, that's what anger can do, and that not just individual anger, but the corporate anger and revenge and hatefulness that's carried in, in nations and and in cultures and among tribes for each other. It's just a very, very horrible toll that anger, this kind of anger can take. And so the Lord says, look, I want to set you free. I'm not telling you that they didn't do something awful, but they'll answer to me. I Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay you know, this will be for me to handle. You, you don't see enough to to know how to work it all out, you know? And so, you know, you go back to that Hamas thing now and, and the Jewish people and the whole thing, what a morass, who knows who fired the first shot, chicken, egg, who knows? It's just always circulating. And it's, you know, to try to figure all that out is such a mess. And so God says, only I, only I can do this, you know? but I've got to get into the hearts and minds of everybody and say, look,
1: I will sort this out for now. Let's start over. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I hear you. Yeah, you're right. And I, I think, you know, Bill and Monsignor, like this whole thing with anger is just, it's a universal problem. But, um, and I, I just, I just remember um, thinking about also doing deliverance ministry with the unbound and the toughest part for most people Forgiveness. Like f- forgiveness piece. I mean, people get choked up and like, okay, say the name and what's your, and like almost like you could just, it was like, like a, um, you know, <laughs> us caught in that wound and they couldn't yeah, pop out of them. there. Yeah. But once, once they do, it's amazing to see the difference of how they perceive reality.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I, I also think that the good news about today's gospel is that if, if we allow the Lord to give us the grace to forgive and, you know, yeah, here's another one, um, forgive and forget. <laughs> that is the dumbest, you know, thing that I hear. Like even people say, Father, I went to this homily and the priest said I should forgive and forget, and I haven't forgotten. I'm like, well, you can't forget, you know. Yeah, right. It does. It's not even possible. Can you say something about that?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's really how can you forgive something you've forgotten? <laughs> I mean, thank <laughs> thank God for that kind of forgetfulness. I could use a few doses of that. But I think that there's a sort of a logical fallacy even in the notion, right? I mean, forgiveness presupposes that you do remember something took place, but you're you're not gonna let it continue to hold you back uh and so on but at the end of the day forgive and forget is it, it sets up these impossible standards and i think again one of the things i don't know what you've ever had this experience father but i have that you know i suspect sometimes to get people run up to me and be angry because i preach against fornication or adultery or i preach against the you know pornography or you know homosexual act or something but you know i get the most venom when i preach about forgiving and father, you know what he did. Are you telling me I have to live with my husband? I said, no, no, I didn't say you have to go on back to live with him. I said, I said, but let go of it, man. Let go. Well, I don't, don't you know what he did to me? And, and so people get very indignant because their anger to them is almost kind of like a monument to injustice that I've suffered. And um, okay tell that to Jesus on the cross, you know, but at the end of the day, somewhere, um, you know, this, this idea that a lot of ideas about forgiveness, I think are, are, um, misunderstood by people. Again, that doesn't mean necessarily you can, or even should, go back to just let's pretend it never happened and go ahead and move back in. And we're just going to start all over. That might be in some cases possible, but there could just be times where the other person isn't ready to really make the kinds of changes, but you can still forgive them, but it doesn't necessarily mean, well, welcome back. Let's share a bed together again. You know, my, my, my husband who abuses me. Um, No, let's make sure that he's really able to live in peace. You know, things like that. So I think that somewhere they, they suppose, like, and that's where these sayings like forgive and forget sort of become hurtful because, I mean, you can't just erase memories. Sometimes we all know that memories fade, but on the other hand, that's not something that you can directly control. And um, so we set up almost impossible standards for people, and then they're reacting against a caricature of what the Lord says to do, not the actual thing. What the Lord is saying is, "Give it to me." To forgive is to give it for God to take care of. You know, He will reconcile this. He will. He will see that justice is done. You know, and somewhere we've just got to let the Lord say, "Look, give it to me." I saw everything they did. I heard everything they said to you. I heard it. I saw it with my own eyes, says the Lord. And they will answer to me one day, as you will. So let's leave it for me now. Give it to me and let it go. Uh, you you know, and that doesn't mean now you gotta go back and make 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 nice. You know, that's another thing in school. Where we always say, let's all make up. Well, that might be for a little fracas that happens on the on the playground, but you know in the main parts of life, there may be times where, um, just making up and pretending it never happened. Isn't wise.
1: Right. So here's one last, one last, one last kind of question, maybe cause we're kind of getting to the end of our hour here, but, um, what, what happens when you want to let go of anger and you want to forgive someone, but they're not sorry. Yeah. Right. And that, that's like one, you know, you deal with a narcissist or you're dealing with, um, Someone yeah. will not admit that they're wrong. Right. Um, I mean, yeah. What, what do we do in those situations?
2: Well, we still forgive because it's for us, it's not for them. There's an old saying that to, to refuse to forgive somebody is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You know, it's it's a terrible self-hatred that we cling to this. Even if the other person isn't repentant, I have to say, God, I'm gonna give this to you. Now there's nothing more I can do. Um I can't change this person, but to forgive is to give it for God to handle It's the best way I can think to help people remember to let God say, I will deal with this. If this person has a narcissistic personality disorder or some kind of borderline personality disorder, they're probably not easily going to say, gee, I really screwed up. I need your forgiveness. That's just not on their wheelhouse. So at the end of the day, what God says, so therefore you need to be seething inside for the rest of your life. No, come to me, give it to me. This person has troubles. I will judge them, you know, based on all these things, but give it to me. I promise you, I promise you that when, when, when I'm finished, that one injustice will remain unrequited and so on. I promise you," says the Lord. "Give it to me." So, yeah, it's not contingent upon. Look, Jesus is up on the cross. Had we all repented yet? We were still. Yeah, he saved others. Let him save himself. You know. Look at this. You know. You deserve it. You know. Who do you, you know? That kind of a thing. And still, he said, "Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, they're kind of clueless." Um. So again, he's not trying to excuse the fault, but he is saying, "Father, forgive." And um, so, at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, forgiveness. Remember, start with this. Forgiveness is for me. Mm. Not it is for the other person, but fundamentally, first and foremost, it's for me. And it's a gift to be received from God. Not something that God is standing there with his hands on his hip saying, until you forgive, I'm not going to do a thing. You know, that's not it either. Go to God and say, my heart is broken. I, I can't believe what this person did. The treachery, the, the lack of loyalty or whatever, I'm so wounded. I'm so hurt, Lord. I don't know where to begin. Go to God like a blind beggar and say, Lord, help me. And I can again say my own personal experience with this has been that I, uh, I've, the Lord has lifted many of these kinds of burdens from me. We all have them. We grew up in imperfect families and a lot of it comes from family life. It isn't always some stranger. It's the people we love the most who have the ability to hurt us the most. And gosh, do we need forget the great gift of forgiveness it is a gift God wants to give you see and that's the vision say Lord I'm re- I'm ready I want to get rid of it uh I'm ready Lord now not everybody is ready they like their anger they feel so right you know and this is where the Lord says come on this is a deep wound is festering okay now This is different, of course, from the anger we call the anger against injustice, which should be taken like an energy and used. That's what Dr. Martin Luther King and others, you know, in the Civil Rights Movement tapped into, the anger. And um, you got to be angry enough about something sometimes to do something about it. But then you see what you do is you use this anger like a creative energy, not to trash the other person, but to resist what is evil, to do what is right, and to stand up for justice. Uh, even at great personal cost of having a hot coffee thrown on you or having fire hoses or being arrested and so on. So th- that, that you see that that's righteous anger, but even there, it's like, don't constantly seize inside and carry it, but see it as a creative energy to get you to get out and engage the problem with love, not with hatred.
1: No, hundred percent Monsignor. Well, a lot, a lot to think about. And I guess, you know, once again, is as you've been saying and as we've been discussing, is that, you know, as we go through Lent, is the Lord wants to set us free. And he doesn't want us bogged down by right. necessary resentment, anger, things that are killing our energy, are, are making us depressed. Like, you know, he said that, um, you know, the spiritual definition of depression is anger turned inward. But, you know, let's be honest, a lot of times when we deal with people with depression, they're angry about something. Mm-hmm. it's just like, well, let's let's let go of the anger. And maybe be less depressed. I mean, um, do it. Oh no, no, it's not what it is. It's, it's totally, it's totally chemical. Well, <laughs> let's, dig let's dig around and look at some of what's underneath those chemicals, you know, oh, a little more complicated than just chemicals. <laughs> right. Right. So, all right, folks. Well, thanks for, for tuning in and we'll continue with the sermon amount. On and uh, once again, this is not, you know, this forgiveness piece, letting go of anger. It's not something we can do on our own. We can only do, and we forgive—Christ uh, forgives our enemy uh, through us and in us, and uh, we have to ask that grace to be able to do that. And that is the catechism said, that the hurt turns into compassion. We actually feel sorry for the person that mm-hmm. hurt us at some degree, and we start praying for them, and we start wanting what's best for them, and we you know, let it, you know, we let it go. I mean, I, I that whole let it go thing, it's just like, it sounds a little pithy, but— um, it's more like surrendering it to God and say, all right, you take care of this for me. Give it to God. You know? Give it to God. You know. Let go
0: and let God,
1: you know. <laughs> I, that's the one I can't stand
0: that, that ver. I just like,
1: oh, didn't, didn't you, and,
0: just, didn't you and Mary Rose do a whole podcast <clears throat> on those. oh yeah? It was
1: just <laughs> like 50 saints, like let go and let God, oh, you know, um, it is what it is, you know, or <laughs> God helps those who help themselves, you oh, know, oh my gosh, oh lordy, yeah, there you go, there's some semi-Pelagianism there, you know, mm. uh, yeah, so we could talk about, you know, sayings that are really heretical. Then there is some of them. But yeah. uh, forgive and forget. That's another <laughs> heretical, weird statement, you know, that <laughs> Jesus never said, you know. Right. And, and that's the other thing is it says in the in the it says in the catechism, it's impossible to forget the offense, mm-hmm. but the whole attitude changes towards it. That's the yeah. Point.
2: That's a, yeah.
1: Not like yeah, like all of a sudden you're like, oh, I can't remember that anymore. That just means you have amnesia, you know. And it also means you don't need to forgive. <laughs> <laughs> you <don't> remember, right? <laughs> oh, I don't have any thoughts about that anymore. Thanks for reminding it's me. A logical fallacy. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Well, good Monsignor, senior. Give us a blessing, please.
2: All right. May the peace and the blessing of Almighty God come upon you all, remain with you always, and may indeed He also uh, bless uh, all the three of us who are on the show today together. Uh, we all have important works to do. Father's doing retreats, and I'm in the parish with 40 hours, all the different things. Please, Lord, continue to bless us who provide the podcast and also the benefactors, and above all, Lord, bless all who listen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.